0: going to be in So our theme this year, again, is Defend the Faith uh, for the month of October, our month of missions. Uh, and if you can remember, uh, the technical word for Defend the Faith is apologetics. And apologetics does not mean saying, I'm sorry for what I believe. Uh, apologetics is the defense of the faith. Apologetics is uh, laying out before others why you believe what you believe. Uh, that is apologetics. Our theme verse or verses this year have been First Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 15 and 16, uh, where we are called upon to be ready. Uh, be ready at any time, any place, anyone uh, to give a defense or an apologetic uh, for the reason of the hope that is within you. And our world uh, is a world without hope. Uh, and we as Christians have the hope of the gospel, the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that should be shining forth in a dark world. It's a great time to be alive and to be uh, the recipients of his grace and seeking to be those lights on a hill shining for his praise and for his glory. So if you remember two or three weeks back, the first Sunday of October, we, we actually preached from 1 Peter 3. We considered six priorities Uh, for defending the faith how we can best do that and should be doing that must be doing that in the world in which god has uh, strategically and wisely and lovingly placed us then last week uh, joel tay was with us from creation ministries and helped us think about defending the faith from genesis and creation Uh, next week ken floyd who is in his final year of being the director of the marbc which is a mouthful the michigan association of regular baptist churches of which we are part of, over 200, I think roughly 250 churches uh, scattered all across Michigan. He's been the director of that for many, many years. He's come to his final year doing that. He's going to be with us next week, uh, talking about the defense of the faith and uh, the incarnation, uh, in living out the faith in the flesh. And then the last Sunday of October, in the, on the 30th. Uh, Jim Jeffrey will be here, who is currently one of the pastors at Chapel Point in Hudsonville. Uh, he was also the president of where Josiah and I went to college, uh, and he's a, a wonderful preacher of God's word. Looking forward to having him uh, with with us. And then, as as I think most of you know, a couple weeks ago, Val and I were down in Memphis, Tennessee, at the largest, probably the largest church building I've ever been in my life, uh, seating for seven thousand. And apparently they run three church services or something like that. Uh, that. That's a lot of people. So I figured I should start getting an idea on how we want to expand here and, and the kind of seating. So I, was, so I was there for that. But really I was there for ACBC Conference, which another is a mouthful. It's Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. It was their national conference, 2,000 in attendance and 1,000 watching online. And over 20 different countries represented and it was fun to be there uh, very refreshing spiritually learned a lot was challenged much by god's word good to be under the word and be built up uh, by it but while we were there i got thinking my goodness i really missed the ball here because the theme is defend the faith for the month of october and counseling is all about the sufficiency of scripture and a great area that's under attack is the sufficiency of scripture that we need more than the scripture for life and godliness so i'm tacking on another sunday the first sunday of november whatever that is the sixth or the seventh i'll be preaching on counseling the sufficiency of scripture in regards to the defense of the faith Uh, then for the rest of november i'll wrap up the second part of that series remember we started that series strong church and we talked about a strong marriage so the rest of November, we'll talk about strong family. And remember, a strong Christian makes a strong marriage, makes a strong family, makes a strong what? Oh, that's bad. A strong Christian makes a strong marriage, a strong marriage makes a strong family, a strong family makes a strong church. There we go. That makes me feel better. <laughs> so that's, that's the plan uh, for the next couple months, six, six weeks or so. Uh, Lord willing. This morning, what we're going to talk about is how to help our young people defend the faith. And in particular, uh, we're going to dive into what are some of the issues, struggles that our young people have, and then how do we as a church come around them and help them and support them. And I'm not going to lie, and I think you guys know we had a hard time finding someone uh, to to take this slot. We've lined up a couple different people, and they had to cancel uh, last-minute stuff, and you're stuck with me this morning, so I, I was going to say I'll, I'll give my... I'm not going to give my apologetics for that, but I will give my apology for that, that you're, that you're stuck, stuck with me this morning to hear about, about this. I will do my best. <clears throat> uh, you ne- as I think about this, this topic, as you think about this topic, I'm mostly focusing on what's called Generation Z, right? So Generation Z are those who were born, and and you get different things that people say about this, but generally, uh, Generation Z are those who were born from 1997 to 2012. That's Gen Z. Do you realize that there's 2 billion people in the world right now who fit that age range? 2 billion. That's a lot. One out of four people are part of Gen Z. So that tells me that's a massive opportunity. Well, that's a massive opportunity for the church and we must be engaged with helping them know what they believe biblically to help them defend the faith in an increasingly uh, anti-at least biblical faith world. So one out again, one out of every four the people that you run into as you walk the streets, as you go to stores, are part of the Generation Z. So what are some of the issues uh, that Generation Z are facing? And I'm just gonna I'm gonna hit these quick. I just kind of want to uh, whet your appetites with you, get you thinking about it, make, make you a little bit aware of some of these things. I have three or four uh, subheadings under this if you're following along in the outlines. What are some of the main issues that young people are facing? Number one, young people and technology. Uh, th- this generation, has always had access uh, to the internet. My generation did not have that. I can still remember, I was roughly 11 or 12, when I first heard that sound of the 56K plug-in-the-wall phone line thing that plugged in, jacked in the back of your computer and made that crazy horrific sound, right? You guys remember that sound? And how sweet it was to hear, you've got mail, right? And now, I don't want any more email. Go away. <laughs> Go away, email. I want to say, you've got no mail. That's wonderful. Your spam box has filtered it all. It's wonderful. <clears throat> For me, the internet really had no bearing in my life, really, until after college. But it's very different, though, uh, with the society uh, in which Generation Z is growing up in. They are digital natives, which is to say it's been with them uh, since they were born, from day one. And they use it a lot. I think we know that they use it a lot. Uh, social, social researchers, one said this, tells us, quote, Gen Z spend less time with friends, less time outside, less time at the mall, whatever that is, what's a mall, I have no idea, less time dating, less time at the movies than any previous generation. Why? It goes on to say they're using their internet-enabled smartphones. I don't even know why we continue to call these phones. Right. I mean, yes, we can call people with them, but that's a very small percentage of what we actually use these for. Uh, they're, they're miniature computers that can do more than I know the computers when I was younger could ever, ever do. But they're using these smartphones uh, to accomplish all those things. Uh, The article goes on to say the ubiquitous use of smart devices is perhaps the most visible characteristic of the two generation and that Gen Z spends roughly nine to ten hours a day engaging with online content. And the online content can be gaming, chatting, texting, shopping, uh, all sorts of of, of stuff like that, writing stuff, reading stuff, Uh, social media like YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, Gen Z, for the most part, as I understand it, doesn't care about Facebook. Uh, It's mostly been taken over by older generations, and so they're out, right? Uh, But those things are very, very significant in their life, very influential on Gen Z. Young people in Christianity is the next one. Gen Z, Generation Z, is very post-Christian. According to the Impact 360 Institute uh, Gen Z is twice as likely as older generations to say that they're atheist. <clears throat> twice as likely as older generations to say they're atheist. Uh, have you guys heard of the rise of the nuns? That's not N U N S, that's N O N E S, the rise of the nuns. And what that means is the rise of those who have no religious affiliation whatsoever. The rise of the nuns. It's a statistically uh, high number. Uh, Gen Z are much less likely than previous generations to be familiar with the Bible. That's very, very interesting to read. Because another article I read talked about millennials, which is the generation which precedes Gen Z, which technically I'm a part of. I was born in 1981. They say that's when Gen Z starts, or when millennials starts. But millennials, uh, according to one survey, only have 2% of a world, only 2% of them have a biblical worldview. Millennials. Only 2% of them have a biblical worldview. And Gen Z is even lower. Very unfamiliar with the Word of God. We are seeing an increasing number of young people deconstructing their faith and leaving the church. Again, a big part of that is because they're online. And they're, they're watching YouTube videos or videos on TikTok of people with a tagline of ex-evangelicals who are previous pe- people who used to attend church or part of, part of some kind of church somewhere somehow but have since left the faith and they're telling everyone online why. And Gen Z is watching that and becoming very disillusioned and disenfranchised with the church. One reason also why uh, many of Gen Z, as I read it, as I, as I try and understand and get my mind around it, have, have become post-Christian is because of all the evil and suffering in our world. And that, honestly, that's, that's no different for any generation, right? Every generation has had to face the question of what do we do with the problem of evil? Theodicy is the biblical uh, term, theological term for it. But for Gen Z, they wrestle immensely with the problems of evil and suffering, that's very serious barriers to them and the faith. They don't even question if God exists. They question if he does exist, why why is there so much evil in the world? They're deeply concerned about human rights and suffering, and wrestle immensely with those thoughts. I know I'm moving quick, but young people and identity fluidity Young people and identity fluidity. The most recent Gallup study of 2021 found a slight increase in the percentage of Americans who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or something other than straight or heterosexual, uh, climbing from 5.6% in 2020 to 7.1% in 2021. So in other words, in America, all Americans... 7.1% 7.1% of all Americans say they're something other than straight or heterosexual, okay? 7.1%. You might think it's more than that because the way media pushes it, but it's not. 7.1%. That's a doubling since 2012, and 2012 was when Gallup first started asking that question, do you identify as LGBTQ? And then it was 3.5, 2012. Ten years later, 7%. The number of those identifying as non-straight has remained relatively steady among other generations. Uh, Generation X, if you were born in the 1960s and 70s, you're Generation X. In Generation X, 4.2% identify as something other than straight or heterosexual. Baby boomers, you were born after World War II, 1940s and 1950s, only 2.6%. Identify as something other than straight or heterosexual Traditionalists are also known as the what? The silent generation, right? Of the silent generation and that, that's a nickname because as children you were to be seen and not heard, right? For traditionalists 0.8% identifies anything other than straight or heterosexual. Younger generations, however, the numbers are much, much higher. Today, 10.5% of millennial adults identify as something other than straight, whereas in 2017, only 5% did. So that's doubled in five years. The increase is even more pronounced among Generation Z... In 2017, 10% of Gen Z said they were, either, they were LGBTQ, somewhere on that spectrum. Today, the number has doubled to 20%, meaning this. One in five of every Gen Z adult you encounter identifies as something other than straight or heterosexual. One out of five. It's a big number. Only 48% of Gen Z say gender is based on sex a person was born as. And that number is only going to go higher as the years go by. Young people and mental health. Again, I know I'm moving fast. <clears throat> Young people and mental health. Gen Z are much more likely than previous generations to identify as something other than uh, doing good or great. Most of them will identify as doing uh, poor to fair when it comes to mental health. Uh, suicide. And suicidal thoughts are on the rise. In fact, most of the statistics I found were, were pre-COVID pandemic. I can only imagine they've gone up. A uh, post-pandemic. Uh, but some things I read uh, said that Gen Z are two to three times more likely to report thinking about planning or attempting suicide. Did you hear that number? Two to three times more likely. In fact, for Gen Z, suicide is the second... Leading cause of death. That's an alarming number. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for Gen Z. And that's according to the US Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Gen Z also struggles deeply with anxiety, depression, loneliness. One out of four are anxious. They've been nicknamed or given the moniker the most anxious generation. They're six times, six times more likely to have anxiety and depression than their grandparents at their age. What are they anxious about? They're anxious about being bullied. They're anxious about the constant pressure of social media, living in a volatile culture of lockdowns, isolation, school shootings, immense pressure to succeed academically, athletically, and socially. Gen Z is walking into homes and school buildings and churches stressed out and full of anxiety. <coughs> they're also lonely. Another study, a recent report of a survey conducted by Cigna, C-I-G-N-A, discovered that nearly 79%, 79% of Gen Z respondents reported feeling lonely. That's very important because loneliness is emotionally painful, but we often don't realize is loneliness causes a lot of physical issues. Researchers at UCLA discovered that social isolation triggers cellular changes that result in chronic inflammation and can lead to physical conditions like heart disease, stroke, cancer, and Alzheimer's disease. That's what loneliness does, or can do. That that same report goes on to say uh, that loneliness is as unhealthy for you and as dangerous for you as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's something else, isn't it? Lonely individuals had a 26% higher risk of dying. 80% of Gen Z and 70% of millennials reported being lonely in 2019. Again, that's pre much of pre-COVID. Uh, some things I read pointed out this, that loneliness is the number one fear of young people today. It ranks ahead of losing a home or a job. 42% of millennial women are more afraid of loneliness than cancer diagnosis. Another thing I read said that 69% of Gen Z say they feel people are around them, but they're not really with them. Did you hear that? People... Lo- we think loneliness means, you think in a crowd this size, you think, no one can be lonely here. Oh, yes, you can. It's very easy to have people around you, but not with you, right? And so 69% they, of Gen Z said they feel people are around them, not with them. 68% said no one really knows them well. It could very easily be argued, and this, this is me thinking through this, Uh, It could very easily be argued that loneliness is the epidemic of our contemporary Western culture. And I think I am not too far out there to say that most of our other epidemics, like heart disease, anxiety, the ubiquitous use of pornography, depression, that a great deal of it can be traced back to loneliness. that that's that's a root issue, and it's surfacing in a lot of other ways. As I've thought about that, as I reflected on that for this message, uh, a couple things came to my mind, but I'll just share this, that loneliness possesses, if I can say it this way, two different kind of fangs uh, that, that bite in and rip apart. A fang number one is, and they're both lies, but it's, it's the lie of this. I'm the only lonely person out there. Lonely people think they're the only lonely person out there. Why do they think that? Because they're lonely. Right? But that's, that's fang number one, and it's a lie. A lonely person thinks they're the only one who's lonely. That is a scary place to be, to be lonely and think no one else is lonely. You're all alone. But the second fang is shame, I'm alone, and I can't share this with anybody. So just, just the shame of I can't share this with anybody else. So I know that was quick, but that's, that's some of the issues that, that Gen Z are facing. And I don't know about you, but uh, that was very hard for me just to preach it. But it was even harder this week to study into that and look into that and think about that. That's heartbreaking stuff. And I hope as you hear that, and you kind of start to think about some of that, that it fills your heart with, Compassion. I can't help but think about Jesus with that one phrase where it says, He looks out upon Jerusalem, and it's a shepherd. It's like sheep without a shepherd, and they're harassed and helpless. And it says, He felt compassion on them. Gen Z is the most plugged-in generation, yet they are lonely, anxious, depressed, and suicide is on the rise. They have traded depth of relationship for breadth of relationship. They have massive amounts of information, but very little discernment. They don't know what to do with it. They're very distracted, jumping from video or song uh, one to the next to the next to the next. At the ACBC conference I mentioned earlier that Val and I were at, one of the sessions we went to was called Biblical Authority and the Issue of Transgenderism. And if you don't realize, transgender at the heart of transgenderism is an issue of authority. Who's the authority? God in his word or me and what I say is true? In fact, the, the philosophical term for it is expressive individualism. Look that up. Google it. Study it. Our world today lives in expressive individualism. An expressive individual, individualism says, I define my purpose and my reality. And if you attack that, you're hurting me, and therefore I will attack you that should shed volumes of insight in the world that we live in today. But at, at that session, uh, the speaker did a good job of just laying out a lot of that, but he made a, a point that drove home with me that um, many, many people who are pro-transgender are not being rebellious. They're not trying to stick it to the people, or, or, or they're, they're, they're not trying to be these, these difficult people. What they are is most of them are deceived And there's a big, 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 big difference between someone who's being rebellious and someone who's deceived. And so therefore, uh, since they are deceived, for the most part, yes, there are some who are rebellious in that regard, but those who are deceived, our response to them should be very different. It should be compassionate. He kind of made the point that uh, this generation has been drinking from the fire hose since they were born, the air they breathe, uh, the LGBTQ stuff, it's like fish. Does the fish know it's wet, right? <clears throat> so, with Gen Z, they're saturated with all this stuff. They're saturated with LGBTQ. It's all they've ever known. It's native to them. It's the air they breathe. It's like breathing that air all day long and not knowing that it's poison. That's, that's, that's Gen Z, it's all they've known. Imagine just kind of try to put yourself in, in their shoes, is imagine waking up one day and someone telling you the grass is blue. And all your life you've been convinced and thought the grass is green. But no, what are you talking about? The grass is blue. That would be somewhat crazy to you, right? Kind of disorienting. Oh my word, like it's blue. How have I not seen that? I've thought it's green. And so with Gen Z... We should be compassionate, not angry, when it comes to them. Let me say it this way. They are saturated, and I mean saturated, in a world uh, filled with unbiblical thoughts and views on abortion, same-sex attraction, pornography, sex, gender, suffering, injustice. Those are massive topics that even my generation early on would never talk about. And I know that's true of generations before mine. You never talked about homosexuality that always stayed in the shadows right those were fringe topics not so with Gen Z this is not fringe to them this is not shadowy stuff to them this is everyday stuff that they're talking about and thinking about and living in breathing in, uh, getting pounded with uh, day after day after day it's not taboo to them and again our hearts should be filled with with compassion it's so easy to take everything I've said Kind of face value and dismiss it And maybe say things Well, they just need to grow up It's the snowflake generation, right? Have you heard that? They just need to get off their phones Their lost cause We're dismissive, right? Dismissive I would say to you this morning Dismissiveness is not an option And dismissiveness does not create disciples Disciples and We are on a mission to multiply disciples. And that involves getting involved in their life and hearing them and listening to them and loving them where they are at so we can lead them to where God wants them to be. Not through dismissiveness, but through compassion. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Paul writes this. We proclaim Christ. And I want you to notice how many times it says the word everyone. Colossians 1.28. We proclaim Christ, or him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone maturing Christ. Three times in Colossians 1.28. Everyone, everyone, everyone. And that for sure includes Generation Z. Yes? That we proclaim Christ to everyone, and we labor with all God's strength uh, that we might present everyone, including Generation Z, mature in Christ. It is our duty and privilege and joy to love God and to love people, which includes Gen Z, and as followers of Jesus, we imitate him by loving the young people all around us and especially in our church so what i want us to think about for just a few minutes for the remainder of the message is how in the world do we come alongside this generation of people and love them and teach them the faith and help them become transformed disciples of the lord jesus christ and i have a very 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 profound answer this morning it's going to blow you away how, how do we defend the faith with our young people? How do we help them uh, multiply? How do we help them become transformed disciples of Jesus Christ? The answer is profound. We do it the same way Jesus did it. I mean, that's mind-blowing, right? <laughs> we do it the way Jesus did it. Jesus is the master disciple-maker. And he modeled for us how to make disciples. Matthew 28, 18-20 You know the Great Commission Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, all peoples That is our mission To make disciples who make disciples The reason you breathe, have air in your lungs Is to make disciples who make disciples That's why God has saved you That's why he has redeemed you And something that we often forget Is that the first disciples were very young Jesus was not I can kind of remember as a kid, and again, for me, with, with, with kids uh, being being in the in the in the classroom at church, we had flannel boards, right? And I don't know I don't know who made those or why, but often with the flannel boards, the disciples were pictured as these old men following Jesus around. And what a shock it was to me to learn they weren't old men. Jesus was late twenties most of the disciples are early 20s or teens. Did you know that? They were teens. They were the first youth group. (laughs) And Jesus turns them into these young men who turn the world upside down. And I'm telling you, if we were to choose the disciples, we never would have chose those guys. Especially their age. And Jesus works with them for three years and turns the world around. So, how do we help this younger generation? We do it the same way Jesus did it. We follow his example. And we don't just follow his example. The gospel is the good news. He empowers us to do it, too. This isn't pull yourself up by the bootstraps. The gospel doesn't just tell you what to do, it gives you the strength to do it. And so, how, oh, how do we help them? Two things the message of Jesus. And the method of Jesus. And by the way, as I say all this, I'm, I'm aiming at this from the church. This is how the church body does this. In November, I'm size, okay, mom and dad, here's how you do it. And here's how the church can help you. But this morning is the church. How does the church do this? How can we work together as a family and help our young people defend the faith? And it begins with the message of Jesus Christ. And the message of Jesus Christ is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke often of the need to repent, to be born again, to turn from your sin, to carry your cross daily, which is to say to die to sin and self and live for the praise and glory and honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what our young people need from the church body is a gospel that I Outlast the shifting sands and a gospel uh, that gives them a stability greater than uh, emotions and feelings. A gospel that is rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ that is built on that solid foundation of his shed blood on the cross for our sins. A a gospel that's so sure and firm uh, that they will be able to survive the storms of life and the culture that's throwing everything they got at them to think and believe and act otherwise than what Jesus would have for them. What they need is a gospel that's going to be that refuge and that strength and that shelter in this time of storm for them. They need a gospel that means death to sin, death to self-centered kingdom building, and life abundant in the purpose and cause of God. They need a gospel that will transform them and transform the world. 1 Corinthians 15 says the gospel is of first importance. Nothing's more important than this, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's true no matter your age. But if we don't start with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we may train up some nice, young, moral men and women, but they're still on their way to hell. It's not about moralism and behaviorism, getting them to act a certain way and talk a certain way and dress a certain way. It's about the gospel, which penetrates into their hearts and lives and changes them from the inside out. It's not, again, a, a, about moralism and behaviorism. That's why we've got to start with the gospel. There's uh, a preacher, Donald Gray Barnhouse, who uh, back in the, the mid to late 1900s uh, pastored in Philadelphia, and his sermons were actually aired out on CBS radio. That would never happen today, uh, but that was what was happening in, in his day and time. And he, he once gave a message where he speculated on what would happen if, if Satan took over Philadelphia, and that's where he was. So here's his speculations if Satan took over Philadelphia. And what he said is, what Satan would do is he'd close all the bars. And what Satan would also do is he would get rid of pornography. He would make sure all the boys and girls dress nice and talk nice and say, yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, and things like that. He would also make sure that at church on Sunday, you're there. You don't miss it. With one qualifier, the name of Christ is never to be named. But that's what Satan would do. I think he's right. May it never be true of Orangeville Baptist Church that we dress right, talk right, think right, but we never name the name of Christ. It's all about Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I preach Christ crucified. Spurgeon, uh, once critiquing someone, a young preacher, said, Know Christ in your sermon and go home. Never preach again till you have something worth saying. And you have nothing worth saying if Christ is not your theme and your substance. It's about the gospel. This is the problem and why many young people have become disillusioned with the church. There's little to no Christ in the churches, in the preaching, uh, in the fellowship, in the members. So they've gone and looked elsewhere for help and hope. The gospel alone saves. The gospel alone redeems. The gospel alone gives true help and hope. The gospel alone brings transformation. It changes us from the inside out. It gives us a new heart, a new mind, new desires to live for God. So if we want to help our young people defend the faith it begins with knowing the faith knowing the gospel and we as members teaching it and loving it and proclaiming it and repeating it over and over and over and over again the gospel of christ should be echoing through our halls through our classrooms through auditoriums like this in our conversations it should be whispered it should be shouted it should be anything and everything we talk about it should saturate our church, and our lives. It must be gospel-centered. But it's more than just uh, sophisticated answers and being able to share the gospel. Uh, it's also gospel in demonstration, not just with your lips, but with your actions. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, the, the, one of the best apologetics, is not the greatest apologetic or defense of the faith today, is you living a beautiful life under the lordship of Christ. Remember Matthew 5 where Jesus says, Have a salt and light influence, and as you're a a light set on a hill, they'll see your good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. And so our young people don't just need the sophisticated defense of the faith. They need a demonstration of the gospel and how it's changed your life. They need to see uh, how it's uh, brought you from uh, sinner to saint and how it's changed how you talk and live and think and act and even vote. They need to see how the Bible revives the soul and makes wise the simple and rejoices the heart and enlightens the eyes and is more desirable than the riches of the world. If we are to equip our young people, in other words, to defend the faith, you and I, we need to know the Scriptures and be living it out and proclaiming it and teaching it and sharing it in what we say and what we do. What about the message, or the method? If that's the message, what about the method? There's a lot more I could say, uh, but but I have these these five or six here, methods of Jesus Christ. The method of Jesus. Jesus, number one, had an all-consuming passion for the glory of the Father. Remember that passage in, in John 4 where Jesus says, My food is to do the will of the Father. Which is to say, what strengthened him and gave him satisfaction was doing the will of the Father. And the will of the Father was that he would redeem a people unto himself for the glory of the Father. So Jesus' food, what gave him satisfaction and strength, was bringing glory to the Father. That's what got Jesus up out of bed in the morning. He wanted to glorify the Father, bring honor and praise to the Father. They say, what does that have to do with, with helping our young people? It has everything to do with helping our young people. Because listen, how can you tell our young people, our God is awesome, our God reigns, our God rules, our God is glorious, if you yourself are not compelled by the glory of God? They'll see right through it. You're a phony, you're a fake, you're a hypocrite. You, you, you say that you love God, but the way you live your life does not show the glory of the Father. You want me to follow him, and you're, you spend all your time doing this, 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 but the glory of God doesn't seem to compel you in any way. You see, you see how, how can we compel our young people to glorify God if you yourself are not consumed with his glory and his majesty and his honor? As I said before, they don't merely need education. They need demonstration. They need more than sophisticated answers. They need to see lives that prioritize the glory of God in everything. Number two, Jesus loved others profoundly. Jesus was described regularly as a friend of sinners. His opponents like to use that title to condemn him, but Jesus wore it as a badge of honor, right? As, as a friend of of sinners. Jesus associated with those others condemned. Uh, Jesus spent time with those that others avoided or ignored. He befriended those who were despised. He was always there drawn to the neediest and, and those who were hurting the most, offering help and hope that is found in him. So with us, it must be that way with us when it comes to helping our young people We must love them profoundly. And we love them by giving ourselves away. That's how Jesus loved us. He gave himself away, ultimately, to the point of death on a cross for our sin, for our salvation. Jesus withheld nothing from us. We should withhold nothing as we seek to deeply love our young people. The question you need to ask yourself is, how are you giving yourself away For our young people? Are you putting yourself in situations where you can love them with the love of Christ? Jesus loved others profoundly. Do you love our young people profoundly? Is your heart compassionate towards them, as we've talked about? Number three, Jesus was intensely committed to relational ministry. He was intensely committed to relational ministry. This is how Jesus made disciples. He was committed to the glory of the Father. Uh, That's what was was his passion. Uh, He had a a deep love for others. He was a friend of sinners. Uh, Thirdly, he was intensely committed to relational ministry. He didn't hide in an office all day and never talk to people. He was rubbing shoulders with people. Uh, John 3 verse 22 says, I, I love this phrase, John 3.22, Jesus, quote, spent time with his disciples. Spent time with his disciples. In the Greek, that literally means get under the skin. John 3.22 is saying that Jesus got under the skin of his disciples. That's relational building, isn't it? He knew them inside and out. He spent time with them. You rub shoulders with them. It should be the way with our church family. Remember, I, I shared fairly early on how lonely our young people are. How much they're hurting. How anxious and depressed they are. Those two fangs, number one, I'm the only one who's lonely. Number two, I can't share this with anybody. Try try putting yourself in those shoes, living in that reality. Feeling lonely. Statistic after statistic shows that our young people crave meaningful relationships, meaningful conversations, deep relationships. The way maybe they present themselves and act or talk or, or in social situations act might not seem like that, but they do. And we know that's true theologically, because we're made in God's image. We're made to belong. We're made to want to be wanted, to be loved to be fully known and accepted. That's part of being made in God's image. One of the greatest apologetic opportunities we have at Orangeville Baptist Church is simply your presence and your willingness to engage with our young people, to make them feel welcome and wanted and loved. What are some ways you can do that. Certainly, there's a lot of ways, and I can spend a lot of time on that. I encourage you to think about it, but you can certainly start by learning their names. Right? Knowing the names of our young people. Uh, introducing yourself to our young people. Noticing when they're alone and saying hello and expressing joy in meeting them that they're here. I'm telling you, you can expect that to be awkward. And that's okay, because that's part of getting under the skin. Don't expect our young people to interact with developed social skills. It's okay that they don't. Meet them where they're at. Maybe they look quizzical towards you or look like they want you far away. That's okay. You're seeking to love them with the love of Christ. Don't get offended by that is what I'm saying. Expect that and work through that patiently, lovingly, humbly pursue them. Don't walk away from it saying, oh, they care, all they care about is their phone. See, the phone has become a refuge for their pain, their problems, for their difficulties. And how are they going to learn that God can be their refuge unless someone in the flesh comes to them and ministers the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to them and shows them that God is a far better refuge for your pain and problems than people? <clears throat> So you can learn their names, reach out to them, be quick to listen, slow to get angry. As you learn about their fears and experiences and their joys, then that's all the more opportunity you have to, uh, to encourage and pray and rejoice. Let me say it this way. This, this thought really hit me this week as I was studying on it and thinking on it, that as, as an adult church member... As an adult church member this morning, you have been giving the humbling stewardship of demonstrating, of shaping how our young people view the church. Ever thought about that? That right now, Orangeville Baptist Church, you have this awesome stewardship of the way you love and welcome and serve and worship and all that we do as a church, that you are stewarding to our young people, of, a vision of what, of what church can and should be. What are they seeing when they look at you? Are they being encouraged by the body of Christ? Be slow to correct, slow to, to criticize, be quick to be gracious and kind. Again, don't be offended. They look at you uh, kind of sideways work on slowly gaining their trust to be a safe and gracious person they can be open with. I, I hope I'm right in this understanding. One thing I love that we're doing as a church, a, a number of things I love, but one thing I love is if you go down into what, when I got here was called the dungeon. Do you guys remember that? Down into the basement in, in the original uh, building uh, built in 18, what, 1858, I think, that was started. Um, Many many years of the gospel faithfully being preached and served uh, over there, but over over the last few months, they've completely uh, transformed uh, the church basement. If you have not walked through the church basement in the old part of the building, you need to do that. It's this awesome hangout spot for our young people. Why do we do that? Because our young people need a place that's safe and open where they can come and have safe and engaging conversations about the Word of God and know that they will not be judged, that they will be loved. They might be corrected. They might be care-fronted. So to confront, care-front, we care for you so we confront you. We'll care-front you with the Word of God. But it's a safe, gracious place to open up and talk and to listen and to be encouraged in Christ. And so my understanding is on a youth group... Uh, from lo- roughly 5.45 or, to 6.15 or 6.30, I'm probably saying this wrong, but I know that there's a window for a youth group where all they're doing is they're just hanging out down there. And you say, that's a waste of time. No, it's not. That's building relationships. That's building a door. That, that's building an entry uh, to send in love to their hearts and lives. And I absolutely love it. I think that's very, very vital and important. <clears throat> I say all that because... If we are not actively creating environments where the conversations like this can happen, where issues can be explored... Remember, remember Gen Z wrestles tremendously with, with God, His existence, suffering, and justice in the world. If, if we're not creating environments like this where we can have conversations with God's Word and show how it provides powerful answers, then they're going to find it somewhere. And where they're going is social media. Social media is the driving discipleship force in their lives. And it's not godly discipleship, but it's discipleship. It's imitating the wrong kind of things. If we don't disciple our kids, social media is. Number four, Jesus regularly created opportunities to serve it's not long after he calls them as his disciples that he sends them out on mission uh, to go and preach the gospel. He begins training them and sending them out. And so practically what that means for us is we want our young people who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ serving in as many aspects of church life as we can. Are you yeah, please, please, please hear this. Our young people are not merely the future of the church. Our young people are the church. Amen? Yes, they're the future of the church, but right now they are the church as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ who have turned from their sin and are trusting in Him. And they need the body. And we need them as much as they need you. And again, they're probably more immature in their faith and don't think they need you as much, but that's part of maturity. You know you need them. And so you love them, and, and we want to get them involved in, uh, in as many ways as we possibly can. And for Orangeville Baptist Church to be thriving, we need that. And I can't tell you how great it is to see up here the number of our young people involved in our worship team. Isn't that awesome? And to see our young people involved with the, the Tuck team and our young people involved with helping teach discipleship hour classes and children's church. And uh, there's lots of ways they're involved, and I only want to see that increase. Having them involved stretches them, it helps build relationships, it helps build spiritual gifts, it blesses the whole church. Sometimes I hear well-meaning people say, how can we keep our young people? How do we keep our young people? And I, I think kind of different anyways. My response to that is I don't want to keep them. My response to that is I want them to grow up in this church and be so equipped that wherever God sends them, and maybe God sends them here or has them stay here, but wherever God goes or sends them, he sends them on mission for them. And they're equipped and they're able to take God's word and they're able to live it out and defend it in a way that honors God and brings glory to him. It's not about how do we keep them at our church. It's about how do we equip them and empower them to be faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our mission. Number five, Jesus always took the initiative. He always took the initiative. How do we make disciples? He always took the initiative. He did not wait for the disciples to come to him. He came to seek and to save the lost. He sought them out. He took the initiative. We must then intentionally pursue our youth with the love of Christ We must love God and others so much. We don't wait for them to come to us. Well, they never talk to me. You go talk to them. You go pursue them. You take initiative. And don't assume. Please don't assume or think someone else has that covered. Well, Josiah is our youth pastor. He's got that. No, he doesn't. And his role here is to equip and empower all of us to do that, right? Right? So don't think someone else has got that covered. Just, just for this morning, before Deception Power started, we were taking prayer requests, and one request was, hey, we need helpers, we need workers for Word of Life. And you say, well, I'm busy, I can't give up another Wednesday night. Well, now we're right back to, to number one, where the glory of God must compel you and, and, and thrill your soul so much that you're willing to give another night to be here to serve and love these young people. With the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, move toward our young people and pray that the Lord will use you to shape them and mold them into Christ. <clears throat> Number six. If you miss everything else I've said, catch this one. Number six. Because remember, I said there's two billion of Gen Z, Generation Z, alive today. 1997 to 2012 is when they were born. Two billion. One out of every four in the population is a member of Generation Z. Keep that in mind as, as, in fact, how about you turn there with me. Matthew 9, 36 through 38. Matthew chapter 9, 36. In fact, I'll, I'll pick it up in verse 35. 35 through 38. Jesus often slipped away to pray. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. It says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, I, I love when I read through the gospels and it talks about Jesus seeing things. When he saw the crowds, he dismissed them. Is that what it says? He got angry at them. Is that what it says? He said, well, someone else will handle them. Is that what it says? He had what? Compassion. Compassion. In the Greek, "splaknas." I love that word. It's, it's, I've shared this with you before, that the Jewish people, they don't think of the heart. We think of the heart as the center of feelings and emotions. And, and, and biblically, that's true. But the Jewish people, they would not say, I love you with all my heart, to put it in, in today's language. They say, I love you with all my spleen. I love you with all my guts. Because that's where they put it In reality that's true When you feel something really strongly You don't feel it here You feel it here Right? In your gut In your splachnos And so when it says uh, That Jesus looked on the crowds and saw them He had compassion It's like a punch to the gut Is what he felt Everyone punched in the gut? It hurts That's how he feels a lot of pain and compassion. Why did he feel that way? Because they were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. So he turned to his disciples and said, The harvest is what? What's it say? The harvest is... Do we... I don't know. I'm not sure we're reading the same translation. The harvest is what? <laughs> Plentiful. What about laborers? How many of those are there? Few. What should we do? Therefore, pray how? You guys didn't say that very earnestly. I hope you pray more earnestly than how you just said that. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus is looking upon this crowd, and he he sees a great spiritual need, but he also sees a great spiritual harvest. But there's a problem. There's not very many workers. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to pray. And how are we supposed to pray? With earnestness, with urgency. The spiritual need and potential is great. There's no time to waste. Get busy praying, is what the scriptures say. And what are we to pray for? We are to pray that God, the Lord of the harvest, would thrust out or send out workers, which is a strong, strong word when it says send out. It's it's used in all sorts of places in Scripture. But one example is when, remember, uh, what's his name? Paul's on the boat and it's sinking, and they're throwing everything off the boat so that it won't sink. Remember that? It's the same word. They're urgently, fervently, everything they got, throwing everything off the boat to save their lives. And that's how we're supposed to pray to God that he would thrust out or throw out workers into the harvest like that. It's a very, very strong word. There's awesome need, there's awesome potential, and we must pray Pray for God to raise up this army of laborers and servants who see what Jesus saw and preach what Jesus preached and live how Jesus lived and on mission for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll just put it bluntly, no prayer, no harvest. Isn't that is not that a fair interpretation of that text? No prayer, no what? No harvest. If the result of me preaching this message is you don't go home praying for the youth and praying for God to raise up laborers, which I know you're scared to pray that because it very well means he's going to send you. Right? But if you don't go home praying for our youth and praying for the Lord of the Harvest to send out these laborers, this message will go no farther than my voice can take it. And that's not very far. I have a weak voice. No prayer, no harvest. No prayer, no harvest. Harvest. We must pray. That puts power in the message and power in the method as we seek to make disciples. <clears throat> I wrap up with this. Young people in particular, if you're asleep, wake up. If you've been struggling to listen to this, I ask you to pay attention now and the Lord would, would help you to do that. I just want to close with a challenge to our, our young people for whom I'm very, very thankful. For whom I remember that I was once one of you, and by many of you, definition, I still am. But as a ghost, by Gen Z, uh, those, those kind of standards, I want you to know that you were wanted at Orangeville Baptist Church and that you were welcome at Orangeville Baptist Church. <clears throat> and I, I, think, I think that as Generation Z, you desire to do big things, that you have a fear of missing out on things. And I think what that's tied to is that you want to do something big and important with your life, and I love that, because that's what I want to do. I don't want to waste my life. When I was in my early 20s, I was rocked by this statement, and I want to share it with with everyone here, especially the young people. The statement goes like this, My greatest fear in life is not that I will be unsuccessful. No, my greatest fear in life is that I will be successful at that which doesn't matter. That still rocks me. My greatest fear in life is not that I will be unsuccessful. My greatest fear in life is that I will be successful at that which doesn't matter. And I think that's the fear that Generation Z has, that you might have as our young people here, of being successful at that which doesn't matter. And I just want to say something to you this morning, is that God in his wisdom and his sovereignty has chosen for you to be alive in this cultural moment today, right now. That your life is not an accident, your life is not a mistake, that your life is not a waste. That there's no reason to be anxious and depressed and discouraged and lonely when the God of the universe and his wisdom has made you in his image and he has created you for this moment. God Almighty has created you for this moment. This cultural moment is a time to rise up and defend the faith and be passionate about the glory of God. If you're fearful of living a life That is unsuccessful or missing out I I, I just encourage you and I challenge you To make your life count for eternity To echo through eternity By running full sprint after the Lord Jesus Christ Who loved you And gave himself for you There's no greater life, no greater mission Than to abandon your own mission Abandon your own life And give yourself wholly and solely to the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Run on mission for him. Live for him. And you'll have more joy, more satisfaction, more purpose, more anything and everything as you make him your focus, your theme, your thrill, your desire. Amen. I'm going to pray. And as I do so, I invite the Worship team to come on up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our young people. We thank you how they were made in your image. We thank you that you and your sovereignty and wisdom and power have uh, had them to live in this moment, that their lives are not mistakes or accidents or random or meaningless. But that, Lord, uh, you have a purpose for them to glorify you by living every moment of their lives for your praise and for your glory. And I just pray for our young people here that you would raise up in them an army of laborers who are bold and unashamed of the gospel. Who know the word of God inside and out. Who are mastered by the scriptures and are able to have that salt and light influence for your praise and for your glory in this increasingly dark time. Lord, we rejoice to be alive in these times. We thank you for your truth and the power of it and the the hope that it gives us. Help us to live in light of this hope. And may the world, give the world around us eyes to see the hope and to ask us, what is the reason for hope? How can you have hope? And that we would know how to point them to you and to the scriptures. Lord, use us in that way. Use our youth in this way. Lord, again, I just cry out to you that you would raise up this army of laborers. The the harvest is plentiful. And Lord, forgive us. We often don't believe that. Forgive us, Lord, that we often look around us and we think, well, they don't care. They don't want to hear uh, that, that no one cares about the gospel anymore. No, Lord, your word has said the harvest is plentiful. Help us to believe that. Help us to be faithful, fervent evangelists and faithful, fervent prayers for the gospel to go forth in power. And Lord, may it do that here in our hearts and lives and may it do that in our young people and may it saturate Berry and Elgin County, Southwest Michigan, all of Michigan, all of the United States, all of the world for the praise of your name. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs>